Welcome to the Faith at Work sermon podcast as we celebrate together Palm Sunday and prepare ourselves for the good news of Easter next Sunday. Since we're not able to gather in houses of worship for Holy Week celebrations this year, I hope that today's sermon will help you prepare your hearts for the message of new life in Christ, which we so strongly proclaim through the stories that we hear this week. It's a difficult and dark time, so we need to keep the light of hope burning to help us see our way through this journey. In the Christian Church, Palm Sunday begins the holiest week of the year. It is a week that contains Maundy Thursday, when Jesus' Last Supper is celebrated, Good Friday, when the story of Jesus' death and burial is told, Holy Saturday, during which time we wait for Jesus' rising, and finally, Easter Sunday, a full-throated celebration of Jesus' resurrection to eternal life, a resurrection which we have been promised to share. But before I begin, let us share a word of prayer. Gracious God, as the crowd celebrated Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, help us to celebrate his entry into our hearts. Sustain us through this week when we hear the story of his suffering and death, through to the expectation of Easter Sunday. Sustain us through our time of trial as we struggle with the global pandemic with the expectation of renewed life and happiness as the world begins to heal. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Palm Sunday Gospel comes from the 11th chapter according to St. Mark. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. And tie it and bring it to me. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this. The Lord needs it, and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. And as they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. And then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they laid had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven! He entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Here ends the Gospel. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I've led many groups of people through the Holy Land over the years. Were it not for the impossibility of foreign travel this year, I would have been accompanying a group of 30 pilgrims the week after Easter Sunday. One of everybody's favorite spots on the trip is a visit to the Mount of Olives, from which you can look out across the Kidron Valley upon the spectacular old city of Jerusalem, surrounded by its glowing stone wall. That view transports you back 2,000 years. On the cobblestone street upon which you stand, you can almost see and hear the cheering crowds gathered, throwing down palm branches in front of a humble prophet riding on a donkey proclaiming him to be their king. 
Not only is this a high point of our trip, and a high point topographically in Jerusalem, this story of Jesus arriving to cheering crowds is one of the high points in what we have come to call Holy Week. Picture Palm Sunday as Jesus enters the city as one peak, and Easter Sunday when we celebrate his resurrection as the other. Separating these twin peaks of Palm Sunday and Easter lies the deep valley of Jesus' betrayal, horrendous death by crucifixion, and with the deadly finality of his burial. Just as you have to travel down through the Kidron Valley to get from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem, it is impossible to get from one peak of Holy Week to the other without passing through the dark valley of suffering and death. That valley, as the 23rd Psalm calls it, the valley of the shadow of death. Let's start out by talking about the first peak experience. Jesus had earned fame through his teaching and healing in a rural area along the Sea of Galilee, about 80 miles to the north of Jerusalem. News of this charismatic teacher, prophet, miracle worker, had made it to Jerusalem, the religious center of Israel, and site of the Jewish temple. The people of Israel, under the oppressive rule of the Roman, rule of the Roman Empire, were hungry for their own king or Messiah, who would replace Roman rule with God's rule. This Jesus fit the bill. The Roman occupiers were not tolerant of political challengers, so conflict was inevitable. But promise and expectation ruled that day as the donkey ambled along amid the throngs of cheering people shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That day is now celebrated in the church as Palm Sunday. All around the world, Christians have traditionally gathered, waving fresh-cut palm branches as they proceed into worship. In many churches, that procession is led by mobs of smiling children dressed up in their best church clothes. In normal years, that procession is reenacted on the Mount of Olives, where the event originally occurred. Notice from the story, though, that it wasn't just plant palm branches that the people threw down in front of Jesus' borrowed donkey. They also threw down their cloaks or coats. Now, can you imagine throwing your good jacket down on the filthy cobblestone streets to be trampled underfoot by the hooves of a donkey? I think I would have stuck with the palm branches. This scene of people throwing their garments in the street in front of Jesus reminds me of a beautiful poem by, written by William Butler Yeats. It goes, Had I the heavens embroidered cloths, inwrought with golden and silver light, the blue and dim and dark cloths of night and light and half-light, I would spread the cloths under your feet. But I, being poor, have only my dreams. I have spread my dreams under your feet. Tread softly, because you tread on my dreams. Like the speaker in Yeats' poem, these people were poor. They didn't have much in the way of material possessions. And yet they were willing to throw down their precious garments onto the streets to honor Jesus. They were casting down more than their coats. They were casting their dreams, their hopes for a better future before him. So tread softly, Jesus. You're treading on these people's dreams. 
Unfortunately, their dreams were trampled in the dust. Within the week, Jesus would eat his last meal with his disciples, be betrayed and arrested, be convicted by a kangaroo court, hung to die on a cross, and buried in a tomb. Those crowds who cheered his entry into Jerusalem must have felt bitterly disappointed and betrayed. The man who they wanted to be their king obviously didn't have the power that they had expected and wouldn't even stand up for himself at trial. So the people passing by the cross mocked him. They called out, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross and save us. But he didn't. They assumed he couldn't. Many of the same people who cheered his entry into Jerusalem jeered him as he suffered and died on the cross. And so, he died on the cross that day, naked, abused, impotent, powerless. At one point he cried out in anguish, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Further demonstrating his powerlessness. When he died, they took him down from the cross. He wasn't buried in some grand tomb that would memorialize his greatness. Instead, he was buried in a garden tomb donated by a generous stranger. Today, we're unsure of the actual location of that tomb. It was likely desecrated and destroyed in the years following his death to erase any memory of him. What a sad ending to our Palm Sunday story. We've traveled from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. Spoiler alert, this isn't the end of the story. What would happen three days after his burial would defy everyone's wildest dreams. And even his disciples would be incredulous about what was about to happen. But I'll save the story of the second peak for next week. That's the story reserved for Easter. For now, let's go back to the Mount of Olives and the cheering crowds. Some of us have welcomed Jesus Christ into our lives just as enthusiastically as those crowds did the day Jesus came to town. We've heard how Jesus can heal and save. We listen to his teachings and promises. We've studied his life and his words in our Bibles. And when we've faced trials and tragedies in our lives, we've relied upon him and his power to save us. We put on Palm Sunday celebrations each year to celebrate him. We've laid our dreams at his feet for him to tread upon. But now we're walking through the darkest valley that we have encountered as a people. So where do we go from here? How are we to worship a powerless Savior who thoughtlessly stomps on our dreams? Let's face it. A lot of us in the developed world have been riding high lately. In America, the stock market has soared to heights previously unknown. And while there's certainly concern over the income gap between the rich and the poor, unemployment sunk to insignificant levels. Employers couldn't find enough workers. People like me, who were retired or semi-retired, felt comfortable and looked forward to our golden years of well-earned leisure. And we not only envision good things for ourselves, we dream of one day liberating people all around the world to enjoy the freedom and riches that we've become accustomed to.
Yeah, when times are good, it's easy to praise God. The hosannas spring freely from our lips. As prosperous Americans, it's easy for us to see ourselves as God's chosen people, enjoying his blessings because we've earned them. And as prosperous as we already are, we think that God will bless us even more richly in the future. Sometimes we worship idols instead of the true God. We think that our technology and smarts will keep us marching upward and upward on a path to that promised kingdom of God. We can live in a new Jerusalem that God promised he would send down from heaven or we would build that heavenly city ourselves. We think we know Jesus. Like those people greeting him on that day 2,000 years ago, we celebrate Palm Sunday without the humble prophet riding on a donkey. Our picture of the Palm Sunday procession is more like the Roman war horses bearing heavily armed soldiers leading a royal procession before a powerful king. Of course we cheer. The future holds growth and promise. That Jesus riding a war horse, though, is an imposter of our own making. It's easy to throw down our coats when we own more than we can ever wear. Like the crowds that worship Jesus, we too are now disabused of our notion of our Savior as a great and powerful king. We find ourselves walking through that dark and lonesome valley of death. We are surrounded by people who are sick, and we can't camp comprehend the number of people who have died and who are yet to die of this disease. As the brutal dictator Joseph Stalin said, one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. And he used that heartless tendency to get away with the killing of over 20 million of his own people. We dare not adopt such an attitude. Each and every life is precious. The death of thousands is a soul-crushing tragedy. Those of us who haven't been affected live in fear, afraid to approach others, and even those who feel immune to illness itself had had their own lives disrupted and their economic futures thrown into uncertainty. With each passing day, we wonder when God will intervene to save us. Like Jesus, we're tempted to cry out the night, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken us? And where is Jesus, the one who said before he was taken into heaven, Behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Where is he? Like those who jeered at the foot of the cross, we might now be tempted to tell Jesus to exert his divine power and save us. Come down and save us. But he's silent. He doesn't act. And so we take part in this crucifixion. Will we join the jeering crowds at the foot of the cross, calling for his death? Will we who worshipped him when things were good turn on him when things go bad? Let us not betray him. We who have heard the whole story before realize that Jesus is not like any earthly king. He does not derive his power from political and military might. 
because those brute forces are ultimately powerless in the face of death, which will come to all without exception. We trust that our medical technology and economic resources that we have under our command will defeat the COVID-19 virus, and our day-to-day lives will get back to some sense of normalcy sooner rather than later, we hope. And by the way, all of those tools are put into our hands by God. Our salvation, however, rests in the hands of Jesus Christ, who taught us the true power that arises from the ashes of weakness. The power that we wield is the power of sacrificial love and hope. I see that power at work all around us in an infant number of little acts of kindness. My wife and I are over 70, and numerous people have called us offering to do our grocery shopping for us so that we at-risk folk don't have to go out and expose ourselves to the virus. We walk around our neighborhood and see the hearts of hope that people are creating out of lace and construction paper and hanging in their windows or drawing with chalk on their sidewalks to cheer up those who walk by. There are countless people like medical personnel and first responders who are performing heroic acts in caring for those in need. And there are those everyday people who are working, keeping the world running so that we have food in our stores and in our homes and so that we'll have something to return to on the other side of this pandemic. So where is Jesus now? He is in our hearts and in our midst. He's with us in this dark valley of the shadow of death. He's walked through this valley before. He will not take a shortcut to heaven and desert us. He will bear our crosses and go to the grave with us. He has the true power of heaven and earth under his control. He will be with us in the not-too-distant future, at the top of that other peak. We will rise with him on Easter. But like I said, that's a story for next week. But now, we don't have to forego our celebration of Palm Sunday because we fear our coming descent into the valley. We should still shout Hosanna and throw down our dreams in front of our Savior. As we travel through the valley, we can look up at him on the cross and praise him rather than curse him. And in the darkest moments, our faith will be tested. We need to look deep into our hearts to find the seed of hope that Jesus has planted there. Cultivate that seed because it will be germinating soon. There will be new life. There will be resurrection. That's our dream. That's our promise. Throw it down before Jesus. Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He has come to save us. He will save us. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Amen. Thank you for joining me. During this coming week, as you celebrate the highs and lows, as you hear this sacred story, May you dare to cast your dreams before your Savior. Be strong, be well, and put your faith in the Lord. 
Join me again next week for the joyous celebration of Jesus' resurrection and the eternal life that he promised to each of us. Continue to pray for those who are sick and those who mourn. Continue to share acts of sacrificial love, just as Jesus gave his life for you. God bless you now and always.